I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Nicole Doucet, CEO and co-founder of Open Water, a bottled water company that uses aluminum packaging as a more sustainable alternative to single-use plastic bottles. Ten years ago, while still in university, Nicole and her co-founder, Jess Page, were inspired to disrupt the bottled water industry with an approach that allows for circularity after watching a documentary about plastic pollution. As we continue to face a climate crisis and its very real impact, Nicole and her partner are raising awareness on pollution caused by single-use plastic bottled water, which is the industry standard today, unfortunately, with the world's leading consumer goods company still selling water bottled in harmful plastic. Find out how Nicole set out to create open water to offer a more environmentally and health-friendly solution for drinking water. Here is our conversation. Nicole, it's a pleasure welcoming you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me. Thank you so much for having me, Eva. I'm very happy to be here. It's my pleasure. And I'd like to start these conversations by going back in time a little bit. And I'd like to ask you, growing up, did you imagine you'd have the type of career you have today? Did you imagine you'd, you'd start your own business? Or were you dreaming of doing something completely different, perhaps? Yeah, so when when I was uh, very young, uh, soccer was really my passion, and and that was what I I thought I would be a, a professional soccer player uh, when I grew up. Um, but uh, there was always a part of me that has been drawn to to businesses and to entrepreneurship. Uh, my dad is an entrepreneur; he started his own company. That's kind of what I've seen my whole life. Um, so so yeah, I think that. Very young, I imagined something completely different. But then, as I started growing, uh, I think this started being a, a path that I I could see for myself. Um, although I didn't think that uh, I would kind of undertake this uh, from from the start of my career. That that's so interesting. Um, and speaking of which, I think Canada just won uh, the women's soccer uh, at the Olympics. So <laughs> congratulations, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank I you. I grew up in Me- I grew up in Mexico, uh, and in Mexico, it's interesting because uh, women's soccer is really not a thing. Uh, it's a sport that has been reserved for men for a very long time. Uh, and and when I played when I was a kid, I played with uh, boys my entire life, basically. Um, but it's great to see it's great to see um, more and more countries with like strong soccer teams because I think it encourages uh, little girls who might see themselves in, in those players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so interesting that, that you grew up in Mexico and I wonder if that um, kind of informed your path a little bit. Um, and, and my next question was going to be obviously, you know, your your business open water, um, you, you you serve a very specific purpose by providing water, but you also help address an important environmental con- concern. And I'm curious to know when the seed was planted, you know, for you, was that something that was always on your mind? Were you looking to tackle a specific project? Or how did how did it all start for you, basically? And, and I know you have a business partner as well. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, 
I think that the whole plastic pollution issue has been uh, something that I have personally seen. And, and yes, growing up in Mexico did uh, play a role in that. Uh, we used to go to the beach as kids uh, with my parents. And, and then growing up, seeing those same beaches that were you know, pristine and beautiful uh, when we were younger, slowly uh, start getting invaded by you know, trash. Uh, a lot of plastic caps, plastic bottles, etc. So it's something that I think has been uh, on my mind for a long time. But really the turning point for me was uh, when I was in college, I, I went to the University of Miami in, in the US uh, and I met my co-founder there. We actually played soccer together. Oh, and, uh, uh, yeah, and so we, we happened to walk into a documentary that they were playing on campus uh, about plastic pollution. and. It just like it blew my mind because I had seen the problem myself, but I didn't really know the scale, right? Like seeing seeing a few pieces of plastic in a beach here and there, uh, it doesn't really reflect how big the problem is. And we walked out of the theater uh, thinking, you know, obviously bottled water plays a role in this problem. Why does it even exist? Uh, why does this product exist? Because there's this perfectly sustainable solution already out there, which is reusable bottles, tap water, water fountains. You can find them everywhere. And yet, if you look at the bottled water industry, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And so why, why do we keep using this product uh, that we maybe you know use in a few minutes and then dispose of, and it's creating this, this entire issue uh, for our oceans especially? Um, and we realized that, you know, we, we started talking to our friends and started thinking about our own consumption habits too. And we realized that every single one of us owns somewhere between six and 12 reusable bottles because we get them at like conferences yeah. and like every, basically everywhere you go, you get a reusable bottle. Um, and we keep all of them in a kitchen cabinet somewhere except the one. And there's one that's our favorite. It's the one that yeah. we actually use. It's the one that we take so with true. us. But, but even... Even people who really care about this issue, who really make an effort to use a reusable bottle, sometimes we find ourselves without it. Sometimes we find ourselves traveling or at a concert, or maybe you didn't want to carry it around with you all day or you forgot it. Or, you know, even people who really care still buy bottled water. And we thought, okay, there's a perfect solution that already exists from a sustainability standpoint. But that solution isn't really taking into account how we work as humans. And mm -hmm. what we need to do if we want to make an impact is come up with something more pragmatic, something that is not going to ask people to change their habits, but rather give them a more sustainable alternative for when they find themselves without the reusable bottle. Mm -hmm. And that's a brilliant idea. And actually, um, I have I have a really silly anecdote, but it's probably my favorite uh, kind of reusable water bottle story. Um, I was traveling to Panama with a girlfriend and we were in a remote village uh, by the ocean. So not not in Panama City, not near a major uh, major town. And uh, we were staying in this little surf shack and she she's somebody who has been very diligent about using, you know, reusable bottles and and being very mindful of uh, the little gestures we, we can make in our everyday to have an impact. So she kept filling up her bottle everywhere we went. And same thing in this little surf shack, she would fill up her her bottle uh, at the at the faucet. 
except a few days later she got a major case of food poisoning she had <laughs> ingested a bacteria because the water was not drinkable um she assumed it was safe but it was not but the only other option you know in 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 our in our room was these little plastic bottles of water and she didn't want to use the plastic so anyway we still have a, a long ways to go but you're helping address uh, part of the problem um I'm curious to know, I mean, this this could have been just an idea and you could have not turned it into an actual business. So I'm curious to know, um, you know, w w kind of where your entrepreneurial spirit might come from. Did you have role models around you? You mentioned, uh, I think your dad is an entrepreneur. So was it kind of the next obvious move for you to make a business out of this concept? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's. Uh ever an obvious move i think it's it's a hard thing to start a business um but at that point you know we had come up with the idea and 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 the idea was uh because we you know we talked about the problem and, and why reusable bottles aren't kind of meeting uh the needs of, of most consumers uh the idea for us was to reduce the impact of the packaging as much as possible and that's mm -hmm. how we came up with aluminum aluminum cans are actually the most recycled beverage packaging in the world um but basically what happened is that at that point I was like, this is it. Like this is this is something that that really speaks to to me, to the things that I care about. Um it it's going if I can make it happen, it's going to allow me to have a purpose and make a difference. Um and I think I was also lucky enough that this idea came to me at a point in my life where you know, I didn't have any responsibilities. I, I was in right. college. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I think it you becomes... You nothing to lose. Exactly. It becomes very hard sometimes, I think, for people as, as they go into their careers uh, and they start progressing in their careers, it's very hard to give that up. Uh, and you have a family uh, and, and you're in a different point of your life where the risk seems so much bigger. And for me, because it was so early in my life, um, I felt like, look, I, we can try this out and if it doesn't work, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll get a job like everyone else. Uh, mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like there was, there was a lot to lose and it was something that I was very passionate about. Um, and my parents always encouraged me. So, so yes, my dad, my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom while we were, while we were kids, but after, uh, we became independent. She was, I think, getting bored out of her mind too. And she started <laughs> her own business as well. And so it is something that I've been uh, kind of surrounded with uh, growing up. And, and that encouragement from them, I think, was like the little push that I needed to, to actually say, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. Mm hmm. That makes sense. And so when you decided to, you know, launch your own company, how was the concept perceived? Uh, and knowing that you, you know, you obviously have to, I think you, you focus on selling to a, a third party, um, since most people purchase their, their bottles of water from a store, basically, and rarely from the distributor directly. Um, so, and, and, and knowing that, you know, it's, it's giant corporations that kind of have the monopoly on, on water bottles and water bottle distribution. So what was that process like? Yeah. So at the beginning, uh, so first the, I think the first step that we had to make for us was, uh, we needed some money because this isn't a company that you can kind of launch from your house and see how it goes. And, 
you know, you can't fill these bottles from your faucet and then start selling them and see how people respond. So we needed to meet certain production minimums. Uh, we needed to find a manufacturing partner that was able to work with us. Um, and so we needed some capital to get started. And a lot of people that we talked to were like, you guys are insane. <laughs> this is this doesn't make any sense. Uh, they didn't really understand the the problem with plastics. First of all, wasn't you know top of mind for most people. Mm. This was back in 2010. Mm. Um, and then uh, to your point, you know this industry is dominated by the big players. You're talking about Coke. You're talking about Pepsi. You're talking about Nestle. You know how do you even compete there, right? Uh, but anyways, we, we were able to convince a few people uh, to, to give us some money and to try this out. Uh, and then we ran into a whole bunch of production issues uh, because we were the first ones. So we were the first ones to put water in a reclosable aluminum bottle. But we were also the mm. first ones to put a non-carbonated drink into a reclosable aluminum bottle. And so the production wow. process that existed uh, wasn't really fit to what we wanted to do. And it took us a long time to, to get things figured out. Um, and then when we finally launched, the reception was, I think, it was very polarized. I would say some people immediately got it. Some people were like, okay, yes, I, I know this problem. I understand it. I understand why aluminum is better. I understand that it gets recycled more often, that it gets recycled more efficiently. And then some other people were just like, water in a can? Like... This, now, why would you ever buy that? Uh, and then why am I going to pay more for it, right? Because the container itself is a little bit more expensive. So I would say at the beginning, we really had to find... So as you said, we, we sell mostly to other businesses. We do sell directly to consumers on our website, but okay. most of the, the volume that, that we do is sold through businesses. So mm -hmm. we work with, uh, you know, the, I think the, the, the one that most people think of is, is grocery stores. Uh, but we also work with hotels and attractions and restaurants. Uh, and what we had to do at the beginning was really try to find businesses that cared about sustainability, that really cared. Right. Mm. Because a lot of businesses, and nowadays almost every business says that they care, mm -hmm. says that they're making efforts to become more sustainable. But there's only a few that actually you know, it's it's actually part of their core values. And so we started finding those businesses and and that allowed us to get some traction uh, back when, you know, people were really not talking about plastics. And then as time has gone on, that conversation has changed uh, because now, you know, there's been so much coverage on, you know, plastic pollution, uh, what effects it's having on our environment, what effects it's having on our health, uh, all of that has become part of the mainstream conversation and that has changed things for us for sure. Mm -hmm. Has it been difficult, uh, operating, running a business, you know, that's your, your largely purpose driven. I mean, you're, you're, you're also commercially viable, but, um, you know, the, the bottles, I, I know an aluminum can is more expensive than, than a plastic bottle. So you, you know, you have to charge more and I'm sure your process is also cumbersome. Um, ha have there been instances where, you know, you kind of had to 
uh, rethink a direction or pivot uh, part of your uh, part of your concept um, because it was hard to kind of meet that objective of you know staying true to your purpose and your values, but then still meeting the the reality of uh, of a commercial business, basically. Yeah, that that's a great question, and I think it's it's a question that most founders who have uh, a sense of purpose for their business kind of run into because there's always a balance between how sustainable you are and how viable your business is. Uh, cause, mm -hmm. Because you can always do more things to be more sustainable, but there's a point where the market will not bear the cost of that. Uh, and so I think it's always a balancing act. Um, for us, the sustainability part has been our core value. Like that really has been you know, that's why we exist. Uh, and that's why people purchase our products. And so uh, we don't want to dilute that because that's really what we think we can offer that others cannot. Um, but to your point, I think that uh, having a product that is accessible is incredibly important. And one of the things that we did is, so at, at the beginning, we launched with an uh, aluminum bottle that has a twist off cap. Um, and that, that container is, is very expensive to produce. Uh, and although we are, we are competitive with anything on the premium side. So if you think of, you know, Fiji or Evian mm -hmm. or Voss, anything like that, we are competitive with them. Um, but it, it was very hard for us to compete with some of the, you know, the cheaper, uh, plastic bottles. And what we decided to do is we launched a 12 ounce standard can back in 2018. And that's just like a like a soda can, but filled with water. And it's a package that is way cheaper to make than the bottles uh, that we that we had. And that allowed us to reach a completely different set of of businesses and consumers that really cared about the sustainability but couldn't afford the price point of of the bottles. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD's services for women in business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And speaking of kind of pivots and changes and, and marketing, uh, I know you also launched uh, the company with a different name at first, and I thought that anecdote was was interesting. So I think it was called Green Sheep when you first launched, right? That's right. So yes. curious to know what happened with, with the sheep. <laughs> it was a terrible idea. Uh, really, we, we uh, when my co-founder and I were, were starting to come up with names, we were like, okay, we want to be really different, right? Because we we don't want to be part of this industry. We're trying to go against the current here. We need a name that reflects that. And we were like, like okay, we're like the black sheep, uh, but in a green way. And that's where the name came from. But obviously there was a complete breakdown in terms of like that thought process that I just described and what mm -hmm. consumers thought about when they saw our product. And uh, when we first launched, people would always come up to us and they would be like, what is this? Like, 
are you guys doing anything with sheep? Uh, you know, it was just like this additional obstacle that we had uh, put up on ourselves that we really didn't need to have. Um, and we realized pretty quickly that, you know, we had made a mistake there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we decided to, to rebrand uh, to open water. Uh, and it took, it took a while to do the rebrand because also we were so small at that point that we had to run through the green sheep right. inventory that we had made. <laughs> so even if we wanted to change, we just couldn't. Uh, but it's been, it's been a great change. And, and I think it's, it's one of those lessons that really sticks with you. Uh, mm-hmm. you can, you can get so close to these things. Yeah. Sometimes you've worked on them for so long. You've been, uh, you know, going from idea to, to actual product takes a long time. And sometimes you're so close to the product that you forget to step back and think about how are people actually going to see this? What are other people going to think about this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great lesson. And I, I went through that myself or my, my own business used to be called something and, and the podcast used to be called something completely different. So uh, went through that and it's good when you can when that can happen early on, right? For sure. Uh, it's an easier process when it's when your company is still young, uh, as opposed to having to do a full rebranding many years later. For sure. And I think that one of the considerations for us was even though we were small, uh, you know, we had we had customers mm. and we were like, well, some people have seen our brand, like we're going to lose those people. Um, and I think there's there is definitely an adjustment. But I mean, it, it would be so much more painful to have to go through that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I can imagine. And kind of speaking of these lessons and the, the you know, the, these moments that as entrepreneurs we we learn from and 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 have to have to live through. Really, um, are there things that you wish you knew before you launched your business that you kind of found out the hard way? Uh, apart from having to change your brand name, um, you know, we've we've made a ton of mistakes. Uh, we came into this industry with no previous experience in, in beverage. Uh, and it's, it's a, I would say it's a double-edged sword because uh, you come in with uh, you know, little experience. Sometimes you don't know how things work. Uh, you don't know who the right person to reach out to is. Um, you don't know how uh, you know, distributors work, what their margins are. All these things are all new to you. And, Obviously, like I wish we had known all those things before, mm-hmm. uh, because it would have made uh, this like the learning curve so much shorter. But at the same time, coming into an industry where you have no experience gives you this fresh perspective. Uh, you're not you're not really looking to fit into a mold. Uh, you don't know how things are done, so you kind of kind of forge your own path. Uh, and one of the things that we did because of that is uh, most most of the food and beverage companies that start out, they have to work very hard to build their distribution. And that means like, you know, you're selling your product to a distributor and the distributor then has all the retail customers that they sell to. Um, And that process can be very long because the distributors don't want to take your product in unless they have customers to sell it to. And the retailers that you talk to, if you talk to them directly, they don't want, they, even if they want to order your product, they can't because the distributor doesn't, doesn't have care. it. So there's yeah. this like, yeah, there's this chicken and egg problem. Uh, and it takes brands a long time to to build that distribution and to gain nationwide distribution because they have to solve this on like a, a regional basis, uh, geography by geography. Um, 
and when we kind of ran into that problem, we started seeing, okay, you know, there's people who want our product, but they can't get it because we don't have the distribution. Um, we started shipping direct to businesses. Uh, so we started finding businesses that would go through a higher volume of water uh, and we started shipping direct to them. Uh, and that allowed us to build distribution before having the distributors on board. And then we started getting presence in some geographic areas without the distributors. Mm. And the distributors started noticing. They were like, oh, this, you know, this water, I've seen it at, you know, 10 hotels just in, you know, the past month or something like that. We started noticing. And so we started being able to then build a relationship with the distributors to service even more customers from there. That makes sense. And that that was, that was clearly a good move. Um if you had to give advice to someone and, and possibly a, a young woman, uh, you know, looking to start a business, maybe that it, it is very much purpose driven and maybe even tackling an environmental issue like yours, what would be your top advice? It's a hard question. <laughs> uh, I think uh, an advice, and this is something that I, I feel uh, pretty strongly about for, for any business, not just purpose driven businesses, but Having a co-founder is like, it's one of the best things. Uh, it really is because this path is, it's not easy. I think people talk about entrepreneurship in, in you know, a very positive yeah, manner. They make it look really glamor glamorous and fun and sexy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and we forget sometimes to talk about how, how hard it can be. Um, and going through that process alone, uh, I can imagine would be extremely draining emotionally. Um, and having someone who is going to go through those ups and downs with you is extremely, extremely, extremely valuable. Uh, I, I feel like like I've been incredibly lucky to, to have someone as a co-founder that I get along with very well. We work with uh, each other very well, but we also have been able to get each other through these rough spots that, you know, they happen uh, and they will continue to happen. Uh, and having that support there, I think, you know, is, is essential, at least at least for me. It's something that I, I wouldn't want to start a company without uh, a co-founder that is kind of going through the same thing as I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. And speaking of, you know, being two women at the helm, uh, and, and also because you started with, you know, no prior experience, and it, it's not like you had an established career, either you were still in school when you when you came up with the idea. So was it hard kind of establishing, you know, your reputation and being taken seriously as you went to potential suppliers and, 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 and clients and that whole process, even, even, you know, partners for, for, for financing or capital? It, it was so hard. Uh, and I, and I don't, I don't know if your viewers have access to, to the recording, the visual recording, but I look very young. Uh, <laughs> In, in addition, in, in addition to being a, a woman, I'm also uh, very small. I look very young, uh, <laughs> and I think oftentimes when I when I went to talk to to suppliers or to partners or to potential uh, customers, people would be like, "Who is this little girl?" Like, what? <laughs> and it was it was hard to to get taken seriously. Um, mm -hmm. There were there were times, uh, for example, when. Uh, when we had first launch, we had a, uh, an intern that came in to help us and with sales. And he was amazing. He was great at, at his job. Um, and we would often go to meetings together. Um, and 
the second we opened the door, the entire conversation was directed to him. Always, right. like everything, like all the customers just immediately thought, you know, he's the he's the person he's the who's boss. going to be making the decision. He's the mm -hmm. boss. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a challenge, um, but I think it also it can wait. It can work in your advantage sometimes when people underestimate you. Um, and and we've learned to uh, become more assertive. I think mm -hmm. that's something that women uh, have a hard time doing. It's something mm -hmm. that I still have a hard time doing. Uh, but I think as as you go through these experiences uh, and and you realize that you you also need to change and and you also need to uh, make sure that you are taken seriously. It's not all mm -hmm. on the other party. There's some responsibility on on you as well. And there's some things that you can do. Uh, to be more assertive, to be more confident. Um, so, yeah. Mm. I, I love that story of, you know, you looking even even kind of younger than, than than your actual age and everybody would turn to the intern. I mean, I've, I've been in that situation. <laughs> Whoever the man was in the room, right, they would assume that uh, he, he was in charge, even if it's the intern or, you know, uh, a, a junior. A hundred percent, for sure. Kind of a classic situation. Yes. Um, <laughs> And, 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 you know, hopefully it is, it is changing slowly, but surely. Um, and actually as a, as a segue to that, what does leadership mean to you? And as a woman leading your team, what are some traits or behaviors or qualities that you think you bring to your, to, to your leadership style? That's a very hard question. Um, <laughs> the, the first one is the first part is, I guess, very philosophical, right? Like what does leadership mean? Um, For, for me, it's, it's always been, I think, about setting an example. Uh, I think that oftentimes, uh, or at least that the, the leaders that resonate with me are the ones who are setting an example. It's not about, it's not about power. It's not about, you know, you have to do this. It's not about people who are extremely uh, strong and, and kind of dictator-like. For me, the best leaders are the ones that, are leading by example. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's what it means to me. And, and I think that that's something that we've tried to maintain as our business has grown and as we've hired people. Uh, my Both my co-founder and I are very hands-on. Uh, no task is kind of uh, below us. Like if, if we are available, if we are the people who are there and, and able to do something, then we do it. Um, you know, it, it happens from time to time that, I don't know, someone needs a few cases for an event and they're going to come by the office and pick them up. If I'm the one that's available, I will be the one to drive to the office and get the cases and help the person load them into the car. Um, and I think that we've tried to maintain that in our team, that mm. kind of, you know, hands on, uh, make yourself available Uh, we're all part of this together. And obviously we each have, you know, our jobs and we each have the things that we focus on. But I think that that mentality is is very strong in, in our team. Mm -hmm. uh, that's 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 great to hear. And I'm sure your your team appreciates it. Um, we've we're we're I mean, we're talking about a Fort Wave now, but we've been kind of living through what think what is now like over 20 months of a of a pandemic. I was actually speaking to um 
a woman entrepreneur who's in uh, in, a, in, a, in a similar product category, uh, making uh, making bitters for cocktails, and they've mentioned the shortage of aluminum cans that's been going on across across the world, really. So, and obviously, COVID has impacted uh, anyone that is dealing with uh, with consumers, with supply chains, with the hospitality industry, uh, you know, quite specifically. So, I wonder what that has been like for you and um you know what are what are kind of the main challenges that you're still struggling with as a result but also what is your your path forward as we hopefully mm -hmm. move out of the pandemic yeah for sure uh yes the the pandemic hit us very very hard because uh you know 90 percent of our business was through uh basically this what we call on-premise accounts so these are places where the product is sold and consumed in the same place. So you're talking about a lot of hospitality, hotels, restaurants, uh, college campuses, attractions, basically everything, everything that closed, those were our customers. Wow. And so, you know, uh, April, 2020 was extremely hard. Uh, we went from having a company that was growing extremely quickly to all of a sudden just seeing like a huge drop in, in revenues. Um, so we had a few rough months. Uh, we started focusing a lot during those during those months. Uh, we started focusing a lot on revamping our e-commerce, rethinking about our website. Uh, so focusing more on on the direct to consumer side, and also starting to think about retail because we had up until that point we really had stayed away from your typical grocery store, uh, your convenience stores, all of that. We had gone directly onto the food service or on-premise side. Uh, and at that point we said, okay, well, you know, we thought we had a very diversified business, but it turns out we don't. And so now we need to, to find other channels for our product. And so we started doing that. And then as, as things started reopening, uh, you know, over the summer 2020, things started reopening and we saw a lot of our food service customers come back. Uh, and then since then it's been, you know, it, it slowly improved over the winter 2020. And then in 2022, when, I mean, in 2021, I'm skipping a year. Uh, and then in, in 2021, uh, things just started taking off again. Mm. As soon as things reopened, we've seen a huge increase in demand. And I think that mm. it has to do with the fact that the pandemic kind of reminded us what our role is mm -hmm. as humans in yeah. in this planet mm -hmm. uh and and it's been interesting because i think that a part of me thought you know we just went through this pandemic uh the hospitality industry suffered greatly and continues to have a hard time you know switching from a product that is very cheap to one that is not as cheap uh is going to be the last thing on their to-do list and it turns out that i i was completely wrong sustainability mm -hmm. is continuously becoming uh more and more important uh yeah. and so we've we've seen huge growth in the past three months uh and hopefully you know things continue uh moving in this direction that's amazing i'm, I'm glad to hear that and it's so interesting because in speaking to women entrepreneurs across different categories i think and and i'll include you know the the, the type of work that we do because we we work with women change makers and our clients are typically purpose-driven companies. Um, we've kind of noticed that rise in global consciousness, right? And it's like, there's so so much of the world's inequity was put under a spotlight during COVID that people are realizing they need to 
act as citizens and take responsibility. Um, so it's interesting that it's uh, it's being applied in your case as well, and it makes sense and hopefully continues. And we see it as lasting change, not just as a as a trend post COVID. Um, and then the last question I have for you, which is my favorite, is what do you wish women would do less of? <laughs> oh wow, that's a that's a good one. Um, I I wish we were less polite. Um, mm-hmm. I feel. I feel sometimes we are, we have been taught since we were kids that being polite is the number one thing you should aim to be. And sometimes that politeness gets in the way of getting respected. Uh, And sometimes we fail to actually speak our minds because we want to be liked, because we want to not seem rude. Uh, And I think that we do that a lot more than men do. Uh, And that there is nothing wrong with sometimes saying how you actually feel. And I, I know that we continue to do this because people do perceive us differently when we are not polite. But I wish that, you know, we all stopped being uh, so focused on, on being perceived in that, that way. And I think it's something that we struggle. I know it's something that I struggle with. Uh, and, and I hope that we can start changing little by little. That I, I love that answer, and it kind of it connects with something you brought up earlier as well. Of you know, work on being more assertive, um, and that that is very good advice uh, because yes, we we do tend to do that as women. I'm guilty of that myself. It's hard. It is. You, you're right, but it's you know we can put in practice uh, day after day and and, and find <laughs> kind of what what feels right to us because yeah, it's it's a change when we start doing it. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for sharing all of your journey and your advice and wishing you the best with open water. Excited to see what happens next with the company. And thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed the conversation. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.